Welcome everyone, I'm Bruce. I'm Greg. And I'm Casey. Together, we will dive into the mysterious world of the hit TV show, Supernatural. Join us as we follow Sam and Dean on some crazy adventures, as we break down episode by episode and have some fun along the way. Today's episode, Season 1, Episode 20, Dead Man's Blood, premiered on April 20th, 2006, directed by Tony Warmby, and written by Catherine Humphreys and John Scheiben. We are... Natural, natural, friends. natural friends. friends. We've got our pal Greg, we've got our guy Bruce, they've got their other friend who's pretty cool. We're gonna spend some time with Sam and Dean, we're gonna kill some monsters and break down a scene. Supernatural friends. Supernatural friends. Remember, spoilers ahead. Alright guys, so... My poll this week. If season one supernatural Sam and Dean were to have a hot dog eating contest, who would win? The listeners by a large majority voted for Dean at 85%. Coming in second, not Sam, but Greg's cat. 9%. Heck yeah. Sam. At six, <laughs> people did not have faith in Sam in eating hot dogs. No, Dean was definitely the right answer here. That guy loves food. Uh, I figure there's a uh, episode, you know, six seasons down the line where they actually have a hot dog eating contest. And people are like, yeah, why, why don't you know this, Bruce? <laughs> That's a stupid question. <laughs> this week on Supernatural, Sam and Dean investigate the death of their dad's friend, Daniel Elkins. John jump scares the boys because he too was drawn by his friend's death. The boys discover Daniel was in possession of a gun that could kill anything. They battle some vampires in order to procure this new plot device. This episode starts us off in a little town called Manning, Colorado, where we're introduced to a Mr. Elkins at a bar. Did it trick you? Did you think it was Sam at a bar? Because I definitely thought it was Sam at a bar oh, with no, his dad's journal. I had to go. Well, I didn't have to go back, but I said to go back. Uh, just to kind of get a better look at what just happened, because I saw the notebook and I was like, OK, that's their notebook. And then they show this old guy and I'm like, wait, what's happening? And then they like said his name and I was like, wait, do we know that name? And I had to like <laughs> rewatch <Jim>? it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was one of our guys from like back home. Um but I had to go back just to make sure I didn't miss something. But no, it, it, it's all explained in 30 seconds later. <laughs> I love the interaction that the trucker sitting at the bar had with this bartender. Because um, I felt like some an interaction that I've had before of, look at these losers over here. You know, you know that one. Is that is that the conversation you have at the bar when we go to the bar? And we're sitting at, and you're getting drinks and you say, <laughs> look at these losers. <laughs> So it was a nice change of pace to see someone in a TV show actually order a drink by his name. What do you order? So when Kate, the vampire, walked in with her posse, um, they ordered um, Jack all around and leave the bottle. I mean, we don't have to talk about the fact that the bartender grabbed the bottle of Johnny Walker, but <laughs> <laughs> still, order the drink by name. I, I did catch um, before that the, the bartender... Um, I think she was filling up uh, the one customer's uh, glass and 
did not replace the glass, just uh, took the bottle and was like, here you go. And I was like, that's uh, not go well on Bar Rescue. (laughs) (laughs) So Mr. Elkins heads back home and is followed by the vampires. The eyes flash. Um, Then Daniel Elkins pulls a cool knife throw out of nowhere. That was a big knife. Man, it's a big knife. It's a good throw. Good sneak attack. I wish it had dead man's blood on it. That would have been would have been useful. So he goes to his little safe room, opens his safe, and pulls out a gun. Bruce, what did you think whenever our man here starts pulling out a gun to use on a vampire? I saw the um, it had like little bullet um, like uh, areas in that casing, and I thought maybe they were doing like a silver bullet type thing, um, because God knows the show takes uh legend and just like does what it wants with it. So I was like, maybe like a silver bullet, you know, kills a vampire or something like that. So I thought that's the direction they were going with that. But alas, poor Mr. Elkins couldn't get the gun loaded in time and more vampires dropped through the ceiling, which I thought was a cool move on their part. And then they eat them. Then they eat them. Not a very gory episode this week. I feel like every Pretty much every time um, the vampires attack someone, you don't actually see it. There, there was definitely a lot of prospect for gore. Yeah. <laughs> like beheadings. <laughs> I have a note here. It, just, it all, all it just says is, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was like, what does this mean? And I think, honestly, I was just really excited for this vampire episode. <laughs> like <laughs> immediately as they started feeding, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, we get a vampire episode. I love me some classic monsters. I won't lie to you. <laughs> so then we catch up with the boys in a bar doing their own research. And uh, Dean connects the name Elkins to Dad's journal. And we get to catch some journal entries in there. Did you guys take a look at those at all? I did not. I trusted yeah. you. Well, I was hoping you guys would because I, I need some help on one of them. Oh. Um, right below where it says Elkins and the phone number, there's an entry that says... Um, on August 19th, 1983, there was a possible sighting of these two words. I can't fully read them, but here's what I got. A creamy rosemary, which doesn't make sense because the next word is definitely Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, huh. Creamy rosemary, Bigfoot. And then on the other page, um, you can see um, one journal entry at the top. I went to Missouri and learned the truth. Hey, Missouri. We know her. Mm-hmm. The boys go to investigate Daniel's cabin. I like the um, intentional uh, step either on or over the gun uh, case while he was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it was like, oh, this isn't important right now. But later <laughs> on, he's going to need to know about this. Some good detective work by Dean. Yeah, the uh, scratching into the floor was really cool. Uh, yeah, that was good. Now, I didn't pay too much attention. I Was it already scratched, or are we supposed to assume he scratched it while being mauled by vampires? I think it was before. Like, he was, he okay. had planned if he dies. Part of his preparations. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Good. That, that's how I wanted to view it. <laughs> so, those scratchings in the floor led the boys to a mail drop. That was exciting. Yeah, yeah it was a cool little, just like, oh, how do these guys know that that's for a postal box? Oh, because their dad probably made them do it. And their dad learned it from this guy. That makes sense. 
Well, you guys don't have a dead drop set up? And then we can talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Dad's back. I was so <laughs> disappointed with this again. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does dad come back? He knocks on the window. <laughs> <laughs> Scares the shit out of them. I, I knew he was coming because I read the synopsis and it still scared me. <laughs> like, just jumping up at someone's door like that. You're going to get yourself killed, John. Bruce, I'm sorry once again that we didn't get John swooping in to save the day. <laughs> but Dad really wants that gun. He got real, real passionate about it in that car. I can't remember what was said. I, I, I wrote down the quote, they have it because, ladies and gentlemen, we have a plot coupon, which is a term I learned from <laughs> TV tropes. <laughs> it's like you need to explain what that is exactly. So a plot coupon is a, a subdivision of... A plot device, specifically a thing that a character needs to obtain in order to cash in later for a plot resolution. Uh, So Willy Wonka's golden ticket is a good example, but it also is good for, it's used a lot in video games. Like you need to get X to defeat Y. And this is where dad also reveals that uh, it's vampires, which the boys laugh at because they... (laughs) Their whole lives believed they were fake because apparently dad thought they were extinct. I just like love the idea of them thinking that a monster that they've heard of all their lives just they're, they're not real. After everything <laughs> yeah. they've seen, these things aren't real. There's no What's way. next, dad? <laughs> Boogeyman? Come on. <laughs> um, but that explains that they're still alive, apparently, and that the lore on them is crap. So when you think vampire, you think Dracula. I'm not going to read you the story of Dracula, but I did find part of the inspiration for Dracula, and I, I thought it was fascinating. Pop quiz, who wrote Dracula? Bram Stoker. There you go. Nice job. So in his research, he apparently came across the writings of one Emily Gerard. Emily Gerard wrote The Culture and Landscape of Transylvania years before Dracula was ever written. And it was essentially like anthropological writings. Like it wasn't a, a fake, fictitious novel. She was writing about superstitions. And she just happened to be in Transylvania because her husband had some sort of military assignment in the area. So if I could read an excerpt from one of her writings that inspired Dracula. More decidedly evil is the Nosferatu, or vampire, in which every Romanian peasant believes as firmly as he does in heaven or hell. There are two sorts of vampires, living and dead. The living vampire is generally the illegitimate offspring of two illegitimate persons. But even a flawless pedigree will not ensure anyone against the intrusion of a vampire into their family vault. Since every person killed by a Nosferatu becomes likewise a vampire after death and will continue to suck the blood of other innocent persons till the spirit has been exercised by opening the grave of the suspected person and either driving a stake through the corpse or else firing a pistol shot into the coffin. To walk smoking around the grave on each anniversary of the death is also supposed to be effective in confining the vampire. In very obstinate cases of vampirism, it is recommended to cut off the head 
and replace it in the coffin with the mouth filled with garlic, or to extract the heart and burn it, strewing its ashes over the grave. That such remedies are often resorted to even now is a well-attested fact, and there are probably few Romanian villages where such have not taken place within memory of the inhabitants. There is likewise no Romanian village which does not count among its inhabitants some old woman versed in the precautions to be taken in order to counteract vampires and who make of this science a flourishing trade. I thought that was a fascinating passage because, like I said, she was writing about the genuine superstition of the area and all of those acts that she talked about, like cutting off the head, stuffing it with garlic, cutting out the heart, are things that actually happened at the time. And it wasn't based on a fictitious work. It was based on superstition. Um, now, John Winchester will say, that's all crap, but this, this is the source. So, Greg, do you know why Supernatural um, ventured so far away from the conventional vampire lore? I do, Casey. It's a little show called Buffy. So, in the first place, they, they were avoiding vampires early on in the show because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as the <laughs> name might suggest, involves vampires. And uh, according to Kripke, they, quote, cornered the market on it. So they didn't want to infringe on that. Uh, and then when they finally did get around to vampires in this episode, they, they wanted to make them very different so that they weren't stepping on any toes. And the Dead Man's Blood, which we will get to in the show, um, was completely made up by Kripke himself. And I thought that was really neat that like you cannot find anything related to Dead Man's Blood and vampires outside of Supernatural. I thought that was, you know, for a show based on, on folklore, it was really impressive to come up with your own. That, like, a really interesting one. Like, I liked the idea, and I was surprised that it hadn't come up before. Now we see a, uh, a couple driving down the road, and the guy's just laying in the middle of it. Clearly a trap. <laughs> I like how, like, when they were like, oh, it's your turn. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Is he going to chase down the car? Is he going to, you know, stop the car with his super strength? And nope, he just, he just lay down. What happens if he didn't hit the brakes in time? Like, what wh- wh- what if he just runs him over? Like, wh- what happens next? <laughs> as long as he doesn't sever his head, I guess he would have been fine, fine, right? Feels like a wild chance to take. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, another changed element of the vampire lore that I liked in here was the teeth. Yes. So instead of the normal, just two fangs we get, um, it's just the shark whole teeth. shark teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dropping down. I can't remember. Was Buffy, Buffy was similar, wasn't, they had like a, like a lot of sharp teeth or did they just have the two? Uh, no, I, I think no Buffy, Buffy had a lot of sharp teeth. Okay. So they, they get it close with that one. I was curious because they, that was the, probably the one critique i had of this yeah that was cool but like that was like computer animated like to the extreme when it came down and i was <laughs> yeah. like why why didn't they just use like plastic like fangs like it just feels like it would have been looked better it but probably, also we're watching it 10 years later <laughs> yeah it probably would have looked better but 
I just like that idea of if you see these people out and about, you would have no idea that they're a vampire at all, um, including ba- the, their normal teeth are just normal. It's not until it's time for them to feed that you get those drop downs. I mean, except for their like 80s bank gang. Look. Ex- except for the fact <laughs> that they look like the Lost Boys. That's that's correct. Yes. <laughs> Dad really burned Dean about the look of the Impala. Woof. <laughs> Dean hurts. looks like like a dog with his like tail between his legs at that point. I felt so bad for him. This did make me appreciate like I'm really glad that they just aren't portrayed as the three musketeers now that they're actually together for an episode. <laughs> We've spent so much time talking about the conflict between all three of them that I, I don't think it would have come across as genuine if they were suddenly all just buddy buddy. Mm-hmm. It's I, I'm conflicted on my feelings with John. Um, cause like Bruce, the first time I saw this and even now, since I've forgotten it all, uh, I would have loved for John to come in and swoop, swoop in and save the day. Uh, like you said though, I, I like the realisticness of them, not just being the three musketeers and, and kicking butt and having no problems. Um, and I, I love the realisticness of John is like a harsh dad. Like he's like, not even just like the militaristic side of things, like the whole car thing that has nothing to do with um, hunting. That's just him being very hard on Dean. Yeah. And it's very realistic. Like that's a character trait, but I also had this, picture perfect image of what john could be and he is not that (laughs) which i like because it's real but i also hate because i wanted that picture perfect john (laughs) i want to like him yeah i really wanted to like him um i i've complained about dad a few times before this um this episode really made me appreciate the actor a lot um because the way he portrays the father it's like you know there's love in there you know he's doing this for all the good reasons but i think what he's trying for is that he's been doing this for so long and he's put so much of his life into this that he's like almost broken at this point and like that's kind of what i was picking up on why he treats them like that like he's 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 past the point where he can like think straight and like whatnot like he's he's almost too far into it and that that's that's kind of where I was really appreciating uh, the actor and, you know, the way he does the dad. Um, so I don't know. Started to enjoy the character. I don't like him, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was enjoying him to this. this episode. Yeah. And I mean, it happens later in the episode, but he um, him dad and Sam have this moment where John says that at some point I stopped being your father and became your drill sergeant. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't apologize for. Mm. And at no point um, does it come across as he wants to be anything else. That's just the way it is and their lives turned out. And he wished their lives didn't turn out that way, but that's what it is and he's not going to change it. Um, So I really appreciated that honesty and we got that touching moment, but it also didn't interfere with this character we've seen of John so far of, yeah, he's, he's a hard ass that's gonna give them a hard time him and sam had some fantastic dialogue in this episode in general um before even before the touching moment 
that argument between them in like the beside the car or whatever. I don't even remember what they were arguing about, to be honest with you. But I just I remember just the the feeling of just like, okay, this is that tension that we've been playing around with for the past 20 (laughs) episodes. And it's finally left out. And I was so excited (laughs) because like you could feel it. And I I was really and I loved I love Dean in the middle. Just like, hey, guys, guys, come on. But also, how short does Dean look between those? (laughs) Um. Oh, what do you say right before they started fighting? Um, oh, crap. Here we go. <laughs> I got out of the car. Um, Sam's voice got so deep during that yelling, yeah. too. Oh, my God. He was so they were both so good in this scene. And I don't know if you call it chemistry when it's about like an angry relationship. But like, that's the word that came to mind of like these two playing an angry father and son just nail it. And and part of it is like uh, just general acting skills from both of them, but especially um, Jared um, when when he's angry, yelling like he seems like someone angry, not just delivering a line loudly. Like he's really like he seems angry. He's good acting. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was really good. So we get to spend some time with the Lost Boys, <laughs> and we find out some of their names, like Bo and Luther and Kate. And that's when Luther walks in. When you saw him, did you guys think at all for a second, maybe something like, hey, who Who is is that? that? (laughs) That's right. It's a weekly segment where we take a look at some of the guest stars featured on this week's episode of Supernatural. First off, let's start with the guy who just made us ask, do they all know he wears a wig? Luther. (laughs) Played by Warren Christie. Hey, who is that? So you guys might recognize Warren Christie from the show Happy Town, maybe Arrow, Chicago Fire, Batwoman, where he is possibly playing Bruce Wayne. But I know him best from a little sci-fi ripoff of the X-Men called Alphas. (laughs) I watched the first episode of that. (laughs) It was fine. (laughs) Next up, we're going to look at our other vampire, Bo. Played by Dominic Zampragna. Hey, who is that? Hey, who is that? <laughs> so Dominic's been on the block for a while. Uh, you may have seen him in Are You Afraid of the Dark? You may have heard him as the voice of Atreyu in the NeverEnding Story TV series. Oh, cool! Possibly seen him, seen him in Battlestar Galactica, The L Word, or any of you other daytime television fans out there like Bruce will possibly know him from his 1,052 episodes of General Hospital that he has appeared on over the past 10 years and has earned him three Daytime Emmy nominations playing the role of Dante Falconeri. Way to go, Dominic. Crushing it. And last but not least, we're going to go over to our friendly trucker in the bar, played by Sean Tyson. Hey, who is that? So you guys might know Sean from Smallville, The L Word, a little show called Reaper, Psych, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, Legends of Tomorrow, maybe some other random shows all produced in Vancouver, maybe a season 9 episode of Supernatural, maybe a season 13 episode of Supernatural. Or maybe a season 15 episode of Supernatural. 
all playing completely different characters. Oh my god. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week on... Hey, who is that? Then we get the story of the cult. That was a really neat um, scene. Um, I enjoyed just the uh, imagery during that. We kind of had this like foggy scene of someone crafting uh, this gun. I really appreciated the attention to detail that they put into this prop and the story behind it. Um, so the prop itself is based on an actual Colt, re- uh, Colt revolver that was made in 1836. And John tells them that um, this Colt was crafted in 1835 when Haley's Comet was passing by. And Haley's Comet actually did pass by the Earth in 1835. It's not the same year as the battle for the Alamo, though, so it kind of no, doesn't match up. Uh, and so you just have to assume, like, I guess some people died that night, but I don't know what they're referring to. <laughs> um, but comparing that to uh, what we saw back in Phantom Traveler with fake Latin, I think we've come a long way. Yeah. And especially because the gun has real Latin on it. What's it say? Um, I think it says, I will fear no evil. Oh, neat. Um, and the story with the cult is that Samuel Colt made 13 bullets at the time and seven have been used. I think this is really interesting from a story writing perspective because it forces you to limit yourself. Yeah. Because, Bruce, I don't know if you remember, a couple episodes into this, I accidentally said a thing that ended up not being true and I said, I'm glad there's not a super weapon that kills everything. In this show, <laughs> and Casey gave me a look of like, "What are you doing?" Because I forgot about this gun. Actually, um, so I think it's really interesting from a storytelling perspective to limit your bullets at least, so that this thing kills everything. But y- you have some limitations. Let's see. Let's see where it goes. It'll be really interesting. Eight shots left, or six shots left. How often does Haley's comet come through? Seventy-five Didn't years. That- Hmm. I have to wait a little bit. <laughs> this is making a little. <laughs> make some more. I liked that the uh, Lost Boys, as you call them, um, sleep in hammocks. That was That's my neat. same next note. <laughs> oh, <it> was so <laughs> cute! In their, in their little burlap hammocks, their, their arms draped over the side because uh, they're so comfy. <laughs> I wouldn't want to kill them if I walked in there. <laughs> well, apparently, neither did they. Because I have to ask, what was their plan? They went in there with machetes. They went by, everyone's sleeping, and they stuck around until they attempted to rescue the girl and got caught. Like, what was their plan going to be? To get the gun? Yeah, they were just going in for the gun. Going in and coming out? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I just thought, I was like, Why? What do you, what's the point? But if it's just for the gun, I guess I'll allow it. But then, were they... Well, we'll get to it at the end of the episode as well. Or are they just letting them go? Like, give me this gun, we gotta get out of here. I think so. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the gun was okay. the priority. Okay. And I, I thought we were gonna get into a weird uh, moral um, dilemma there for a second. Because, like, the boys were very, like, concerned about 
the hostages in the room, but dad was not. He was focused directly on that gun. And I was kind of curious what would happen if we got that gun and he was just ready to go. Like, would we have still worried about those hostages? Um, I was ready for that. I I was curious if that was going to be a dilemma, but we never got that far. That would have been fun. I also like the addition of, I mean, I don't know if it's been in lore before, but this whole idea that uh, once a vampire gets your scent, they have it for life. I, I think like that's, that. Yeah, that's a cool little the hunter becomes the hunted factor in vampire lore. That's terrifying too. Like <laughs> even if you get away, you're like got a peek over your shoulder for a while. I have a thing on here about the beheadings. Um even though we don't get to see it, like the fact that they're cutting off heads is kind of creepy. Like just to think about, like I, I think this is, like if we saw it it would be a completely different episode. <laughs> <laughs> During that tender scene between Sam and John, we also get the revelation that uh, their college funds were spent on ammo. <laughs> it sounds about right. I I wrote down um, a quote. I, I, I can't watch my children die, too. Um, I really liked that line because like it, it really gave you that reason on why he doesn't want them around. Because it's like he has already seen in his wife. And he's like, if I if I like if he's the reason that they die, like he's he's done for Did that moment. I, both of you felt less strongly about the ending of um, Shadow than I did. Did that moment change how you felt about the ending of Shadow when they separated at all? No, no. You still didn't like it. <laughs> OK, I think they were just irrational. OK, because as yeah. we realized at the end of this episode, <laughs> it was a dumb choice. Now they're ready to be together because they have the cult. It, it gives a an emotional reason from John's perspective, but I think our arguments are still the same for that episode of like, it doesn't, the only way this makes sense is if the boys completely go underground and hide. And uh, they're not going to do that. That's fine. Yeah. And I think Dean brings that up eventually, doesn't he? He's like, he's like, you know, that's wrong dad, because you've been sending us on all these things as well. And that was nice. I was excited to see Dean like kind of stand up to him a little bit. And What's really interesting about this conflict is that it, for their setup, it had to happen. So, like, John and Sam had to butt heads. Like you said, we couldn't have a Three Musketeers episode. Um, So, they had to butt heads. Just in general, in their lifespan, they would eventually have to have this conflict because if John treats them the way he does until they're 30 it like eventually they're going to to fight back and um so even dean eventually had to speak up and he did and that was really exciting so they do separate for a few minutes so that john can go after the cult while the boys go back and rescue the hostages what do you think john's plan was i think what screwed up his plan because he 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 was doing a prisoner exchange or not prisoners he was doing a hostage negotiation for the gun yeah, Kate got out of her um, bonds and hit him. Mm-hmm. Hit him, okay. So if she didn't hit him, I would say that his, his plan was a standoff to say, I won't come after you. You don't come after me. But why wouldn't they just kill him? Well, he could, he could shoot one to show him that. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a big thing is, is, is them realizing like, oh, this thing can actually kill us. Um. And that he can kill us from a distance, not just using a machete. 
I, I think it would have been okay for a, sort of a standoff. Wait, what are we talking about? I'm, I'm confused what you guys are confused about. So John had Kate hostage. Yeah, and like I didn't see a scenario where John could realistically get out of that situation on his own. Well, wasn't the idea is that he... Oh, you're saying like once she got loose. Once he had the gun and once she was let go, yeah. what would happen? Well, d- isn't that exactly when Dean and Sam come in to but play? They weren't they were supposed they to. Yeah. He told them to, to leave the leave town after they got the hostages free. Right. He'd be dead, man. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I think he could have either explained or maybe they already knew that the gun could kill them. And he doesn't have to kill all of them, much like holding Kate hostage, he could just point the gun at Kate and say, let me go, or I'm going to kill this bitch. But they would they would think that it wouldn't do anything. Um, he would figure oh, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no reason for them to be afraid of that gun. He would shoot a red coat. Is that what they're called? <laughs> so his plan, you're saying, is to use the bullets that they only have six left of? Yes. That's a horrible plan. Well, to use one... <laughs> To show. They didn't know anyway, that it was a special gun? No, because um, at the beginning of the episode, when Kate sees Daniel with it, she says, you should know better than that. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if Luther might have known, but I don't think he did there's either. No, yeah, there's no reason for us to think he did. And mm. for I'll, I'll give it to you, Casey. I, I guess it, the situation could have been he could have walked away from this situation if everyone knew what the gun did. But that's a real problem here. Um, but I like to think that somehow he would have succeeded, if not for Kate bashing him. Right. He has super ninja powers, guys. <laughs> you just haven't seen it yet. And he's oh, gonna, yeah. he had a that. Did you see that machete? He would have taken them <laughs> out. Oh, my God. His trunk. We didn't even talk about it. Dean was so <laughs> jealous of his little chest. Man. I mean, it seemed like they had the same amount of tools. But, like, just the look, the shine to it, the padding, the organization. <laughs> Even the machete itself just looked nicer than theirs. I guess John had more time on his hands when he sends his boys on errands to kill things. <laughs> so... Then what do you think was Sam's plan? <laughs> this I hated. So like when they, when the boys came, they ruined a perfectly good ambush. Yeah, I think Dean did great by shooting them with the dead man's blood arrows and took out okay, like yeah. two of them right away. But then and Sam's like, Sam's just I'll like, rush in and have them hit. Yeah, he's just running. <laughs> Are there any bookshelves nearby? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I was really upset at Sam for that. <laughs> And then he was hostage, right? Yeah, and but that's when Dad pulls out the Colt, and we could see what that looks like, and it was super cool. Whoa! It was the most dramatic monster death we've had so far. <laughs> I wanted to say, guys. So to rewind a little bit, Dad um, gets the gun, but she gets out of the the uh, the ropes or whatever. And then Sam and Dean come to save the day at the end. So my prediction was not even close. (laughs) Just reversed (laughs) in episode 20. So I called it like 99%. 
just be happy with yourself that you got dad coming back in episode 20. Just leave it at that. So along those same lines, Bruce, I understood the need plot wise for this specific episode to have the boys disobey their dad and like kind of save him. But then to disobey him and come back, if they didn't save him, then he would have just been mad. You know, like if they came back and he didn't need them, then that would have not worked out well plot wise. So I understood the need to have him come back. But it also went against my hopes, which were the same as your hopes, that John Winchester would be extra badass. I wanted him to succeed in his hostage negotiation and get away scot-free and have a scene that fully demonstrates how badass John Winchester is. And he apparently isn't. <laughs> so, But it, all, it did frustrate me that... Uh, this entire time they've been separated, John Winchester has been on his own. And the time that he happens to be working with his boys, he actually definitely needs their help or he's going to die. And it's much the same as when they were getting rid of a poltergeist. And since their mother happened to be there, they needed their mother to help them get rid of such a simple entity, you know, <laughs> Uh, it just frustrated me that um, someone who should be extra badass needs this help. Greg, I'm sorry this 60-year-old man couldn't defeat six <laughs> monsters that the day before he thought were extinct and had never encountered before. But whatever. I'm sorry he didn't live up to your expectations. <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I really liked his smile at the end. He was so happy this cult actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... So I was like, ah, you wasted a bullet. I mean, there are probably other ways to get out of the situation if we thought about it. But I really liked the idea of if we use this, we know it works. Yeah. Because oh, before true. that, it was all myth. It, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. It was the perfect monster to use it on because, you know, nothing else can kill it besides cutting its head off. I love that ending scene. I won't lie to you. I ate that up like a piece of cake. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't even I can't quote anything but they're all standing together in the room and uh, I forget the talk but at the end they uh, both the boys yes sir and they're ready to go <laughs> and it was, but it was a different yes sir at this point because at this point they realized they needed each other it was no longer a drill sergeant and two soldiers it was a team ready to go and I really liked that and uh, I don't know I got the little Goose pimples during that. Reviews? Reviews. I'm going to give this episode 8 vampires out of 10. I've been very excited this entire season waiting for this gun. I take that back. I'd be lying if I said this entire season because I kind of forgot this gun existed. Um, but towards the end, I started realizing, like, we're coming up on the finale here. What happens? And I'm very excited for this gun to be in play. I honestly don't remember how it resolves, so no spoilers there. But um yeah, I was just very excited to see this come in. Uh I enjoyed the vampires to an extent. Uh I on the one hand, it it was kind of fun to have them be different than the general lore, but on the other hand, is it was kind of like uh well they're just they suck blood and and 
everything else is a lie. I enjoyed the vampires, but I, I guess I could have used more lore behind them. Um, and yeah, I had some complaints about how the plot worked out, but that's just general television. So I'll go ahead with eight vampires out of ten. I am going to give this nine and a half Whoa. out of ten Whoa. vampires. <laughs> um, really close to giving it a ten. Really close to giving it a ten. Um, I know we talked through this and there's so much to pick apart about it. And I get that. But I came out of this episode so fired up. Um, I love the vampires. Just uh, I, I just love vampires. Um, we got this cool cult uh, pistol. Like, how awesome is that? Um, Dad's back. Sam and Dean are all teaming up, ready to go, you know, destroy Meg. Um, and uh, I was just uh, the family realized they are stronger together. And like I said, I, that I ate that like cake and uh, I'm ready to see episode 21 and 22 and see where we go. Kind of kind of destroy uh, father. So nine and a half out of ten vampires. Heck yeah. Bruce, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Even with you grading harsher now, nine and a half out of ten. That's awesome. Yes. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so. I give this episode a nine machetes out of 10. <laughs> um, it feels like everything has been building up to this episode. Um, plot wise with dad and um, everything happening in the main story arc, but then also like behind the scenes stuff. Like if we had tried to do vampires in the first 10 episodes, I feel like it would have been pretty bad. It would have been redundant and it would have felt like watching Buffy, but behind the scenes, they had time to really decide what the show is and set its own tone. And we're able to create something that was different. And even the story of the writer for this episode, um, previous to this, she was John Scheiben's writing assistant. Um, and this is the first thing that she wrote for television. So even her, experience had been building to creating this episode. Everything has been just building to dead man's blood. And I just like Bruce, I left this episode very excited for what comes next. And it felt like we left the show in just a really, really exciting place at the end of this one that I'm just looking forward to the end of this first season, nine machetes out of 10. Next week on supernatural, we're watching season one, episode 21 salvation. After Sam has a secret dream of a family being attacked, the brothers and their father head to Salvation, Iowa to save the family in Sam's dream. It's really hard to predict from here. Um, we have two episodes I've predicted a thousand times. Um, <laughs> um, where we go in Iowa next week, you said? Yeah. Meg's going to be there with her blood cup. And uh, we're going to find her. Um, and we're willing to save a family, right? Okay. Who do you think's attacking them? Meg. Ah. So, yeah. So Meg's bringing them there. That way, father can finally be introduced in the last five minutes of next episode. So you think it's similar to the Chicago episode? Where, where there's like kind of laying a trap for the boys. It's, that's what this all has been, Greg. Oh, yeah, the, whole, the entire thing. Right? The puppet master, yes. Okay. 
Do you have a prediction for all five bullets? <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to go to Meg. No. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that that's sort of true. They're going to use all five bullets and not going to be able to kill father. Like, hmm. it's going to be a thing where they mess up and for some reason they've used them all. And there's just going to be the secret or way we haven't thought about right at the end that we come to. And that's how we defeat him. So are you saying that's all going to happen this season? Or is this conflict going to carry over into season two? Oh, no, it's resolved in two more episodes. So Bruce won his bingo last week, which means I had to choose a charity to donate $50 to Um, So a large part of our local community here has been impacted by COVID-19 and will continue to be so for the foreseeable future. So I decided to donate to the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank to help those families keep food on their tables. Um, So we would like to ask any of our listeners out there to also give whatever they can this week to help whatever cause they would like to support. Send us a tweet about your donation for us to retweet and call out on a future episode to um, rally some more support for that cause. For any questions, comments, or smart remarks, send them to naturalfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at naturalfriendspodcast. Thank you to our fans and our wives for your continued support. If you enjoyed this, drop us a review and subscribe. Thank you for joining us. We are Natural, Natural Friends. 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 I'm deciding between a seven and an eight. Man, if only you could like put a number in between there. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I don't. I'm not deciding between a seven, a seven point five, and an eight. I'm deciding between a seven and an eight. Right, right. But it'd be great <laughs> if there was some type of middle ground between the two that you could just land on. <laughs> no.